Most of you I know, but for those of you who don't know me, my name is Beth, and as I mentioned earlier, I'm usually downstairs for this part of the service. Uh, I've been the children's ministry coordinator, at children and youth ministry coordinator, um, since I think last summer that I've uh, been spending most of my Sundays downstairs in what I call the happy chaos of Sunday school. Um, but this morning I'm, I'm here because we are partway through a series on our core vision, mission, and values as a community. And this week and next week we're going to be talking about uh, our core value of diversity. And in particular this morning we're talking about generational diversity, which is in some ways about kids' ministry, but I also hope that we paint a picture about why and how kids' ministry and Sunday school is actually a much bigger and more important piece of our community, uh, and how it's not just one little thing that happens for 35 or 45 minutes on a Sunday morning. And in, in a few minutes, I'm actually going to invite Colleen, one of our moms, to come up and we're going to have a, a brief interview as we've been doing each week. But before I invite her up, I just wanted to share a few thoughts uh, from the readings uh, about things that have shaped my view of my role and are feeding into why I love our children's and youth ministries so much. And the first one, the first thought comes from our, our passage from Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy, in this passage, uh, the, the people of Israel are about to enter the promised land, and God says, choose today, choose life or choose death. Uh, choose to follow me, choose to reject me. But one of the interesting little pieces in that passage is that it says, for me and for, for yourself and for your descendants. And it touches on this truth that has been present in the community of God from the very beginning, which is that the family of God is generational. And earlier in Deuteronomy, when God gave the law to the Israelite people, it says, teach them to your children and to your children's children. And this is repeated three times in the span of, I think, five chapters. Chapter 4, chapter 6, chapter 11. It says again and again, teach them to your children and to your children's children. When you're going out, when you're coming in, when you're sitting down, when you're laying down, teach them to your children and your children's children. And the, a community of faith exists and lasts because it's generational, because a generation passes it on to the next generation. And as Christians, we are a faith community that has been present in the world for 2,000 years because we are generational, because we understand that faith is something that is taught and is passed on and is given to the next generation. And as soon as we stop doing that, we stop existing, right? And so I think it's just really important to remember and to recognize that the, that, that the generational nature of our faith is really in our DNA. As Christians and rooted in the Jewish faith before that, that we are a people of generations. And coming out of that, which I'm gonna, we'll talk more with Colleen about, but I also think it's important then to realize that as we think about children and youth ministry, we're not just then supporting and encouraging that generation of children and youth, we're also supporting and encouraging a generation before that, the parents of children and youth, right? So it's not just this generation, but it's actually two generations that are affected and involved in uh, what happens when we have a healthy and vibrant ministry for children. 
The other thought that I want to touch on comes from our New Testament readings. And um, in, in 1 Corinthians, we've, we've been reading through from the start of the, the book since I think the beginning of January, and we're now on chapter 3. And the three chapters we've looked at so far are actually all about the same thing. There's a division in the church. Some people are saying, I'm a Paul Christian. Some people are saying, I'm a Cephas or a Peter Christian. Some people are saying, I'm an Apollos Christian. And they're differentiating. They're saying, well, I follow this person and I follow that person. And in the reading that we had this morning, Paul rebukes them for this. And he says, he calls them, he calls them children. Actually, he calls them babies. He, sa- he says, I'm going to just quote this part. I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but rather as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for solid food. Even now, you are still not ready. And Paul is rebuking them for this childishness faith, the childishness of their faith that sticks their heels in and says, no, I'm not, I'm not like them. I'm not with that person. I'm over here. I'm doing it my way. And... Um, And so we have this kind of rebuke towards childishness. But then in the gospel reading, we have Jesus embracing and encouraging a childlike faith. And he says, unless you become like the children, you won't enter the kingdom. This is what the kingdom of God is, is this childlike faith. So as I was prepping for this Sunday, I was thinking, you know, what is the difference between a childish faith and a childlike faith? And I think we see it very clearly in the text. A childish faith is one, as Paul says, there's division, there's jealousy, there's quarreling. And that's true of our church today as it was 2,000 years ago. As we've been talking about this passage in our small group on Monday nights, I've really been convicted about this because there, especially in our political climate today, I've wanted to say, I'm not that type of Christian. I'm not that type of Christian. I'm not an Apollos Christian. I'm a, I'm a Cephas Christian, you know? And, and yet, we are Christians. And what does that mean? And I've, I've been thinking a lot about that, and I've been curious. You know, we don't know specifically what it was that made someone an Apollos Christian or why people wanted to be a Cephas Christian, but obviously there are reasons that people valued that said, no, this is the right way to do the Christian faith from day one. And so I've been convicted in my own self that childishness can still be present. You know, as, as a community, 2,000 years later, we still haven't figured out how to do away with quarreling and jealousy. On the inverse, a childlike faith is one that's open. And we see, we see the children, they encounter Jesus and they run to him. They want to get to Jesus. And I think that our children, and what I see on Sunday mornings, is there's, a, there's an openness, there's a, a freedom from shame that comes with being childlike. Um, kids love giving answers. Seven times out of ten, they have nothing to do with the question that's been asked. <laughs> but they just love participating. And they bring themselves, they bring, they bring an openness to, I'll put my hand up and answer a question, even if I'm not really sure what the right answer is. And that's something that we unlearn as we get older. We start learning shame. We start holding back. We start having to do everything right instead of just engaging. And the other thing um, that stands out to me in this passage is that the openness to 
receiving and giving love. And uh, last week in Sunday school downstairs, our lesson was about Jesus and the Samaritan woman. The story of Jesus and his followers are tired after a long day of travel. They arrive in Samaria, which is a neighboring kind of geographic region of, uh, to the Israelite community. His disciples go to get food. He's sitting at the well, and a Samaritan woman comes. He says, can I have a drink of water? And she says, wait a second. You're a Jewish man. Why are you talking to me? I'm a Samaritan woman. Culturally, we don't get along. You're a man, and I'm a woman. And in, in our Sunday school lesson, we talked about how Jesus didn't let the cultural rules stop him from loving anyone. It didn't matter if they were male or female. It didn't matter what culture they were from. Samaritan people had a different type of faith than the Jewish people, which Jesus and this woman end up discussing. It didn't stop Jesus. And in the same way, what we see with these children is their desire to give and receive love from Christ. And there's an openness there uh, that, that is celebrated and that Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And it's something that I am constantly being humbled by as I interact with our kids, and, uh, I, and I love it. So, to hear a bit more about this, I'm going to invite Colleen to come up and join me, and we're going to take a seat. Thank you. So to start out, hello. <laughs> it's very um, strange looking this way. Yeah, it's a very different view. <laughs> uh, Colleen, maybe you can just introduce yourself for people who don't know you, uh, what you do during the week when you're not so, here. I'm Colleen James, and I am both a full-time mother and a full-time teacher, um, so I teach a group of special needs students during the week and then come home to my three beautiful children. And how old are your kids? I'm seven and five and a half and three. Great. And you folks have been a part of St. Aidan's for how long? About three years. More regularly for about three years. Great. So looking at kind of this generational perspective and starting... Yeah. You guys both just need to speak up. Okay. <laughs> so starting speaking generationally, but starting with you as a child, can you tell us a bit about what your experience was like, what your connection to church was? So growing up, I went to church with my parents. We went to an Anglican church in Edmonton, and we attended quite regularly. Um, went to Sunday school, went to various church activities, but went to an Anglican church. And do you remember what you did or didn't like about being involved at church? I remember I loved Sunday school. I like going downstairs. I really remember like the nursery and feeling really comfortable and happy. And I really loved learning the stories about the Bible. And that's, yeah, that stood out for me. So that was probably until you were 12 or 13? Yep. And then what happened? So at 12, I did my confirmation, um, at which point my parents gave me the choice that I was now a confirmed Anglican. And then they gave me the choice about moving forward in my faith. And so I chose not to go to church. <laughs> I made a choice not to attend church anymore. <laughs> yeah. So then what did your relationship with God or with faith look like during your teenage years? Um, I'd say I was very questioning. I wouldn't say that I ever stopped believing in God, but I definitely didn't attend church regularly. I explored other faiths. I really thought about different avenues of spirituality, and it was not centered, I would say, around the Anglican church at all. It was kind of 
more out there and exploratory, but definitely not. I was not a churchgoer. <laughs> so, not a churchgoer, high school, university, and then? Um, so then I moved to Ontario and I started dating Matt and his family is a church family. Um, so going to Kingston on the weekends, church was not negotiable. There was no choice about going to church. Um, and so I attended and they go to um, St. George's Cathedral, the Anglican Cathedral in Kingston. And so if we were going to Kingston, we were going to church. So it's kind of a reintroduction in coming back to an Anglican church and an Anglican faith. So then you're at a point in your life, you're in university and then early marriage, going to church occasionally when you go to Kingston. Yeah. And then you started going to a church here in Toronto. Yes. So we started attending another Anglican church, um, off and on a few times before we had the kids, and then a little bit after we had Lillian and Hazel, um, but definitely not regularly. <laughs> um, and the main reason was that there was no nursery. So I would go, we would get ready for church on Sunday and we get, you know, we'd like to get the kids looking nice and get all dressed and dress ourselves up and we go to church and I would sit in the basement by myself because <laughs> there was no other, there was another young families and there was no staffed nursery. So I would spend the whole time with my kids in the basement after spending the whole week with my kids at my house <laughs> by myself. <laughs> so there wasn't really a, an opportunity for community or connection no. uh, in that particular setting. So you kind of didn't go regularly after a little while? Right, yeah. It was too much, <laughs> was too much work <laughs> to be by myself in the basement. So then how did you wind up? You said you've been here regularly for three years. Um, so originally it was Lillian that wanted to come back to church. Um, I don't know what it was about church. Maybe it was going when we went to Kingston, but Lillian wanted to come to church. So Matt and I decided that we better find a church to go to if she was interested. And it is our faith that we felt like we should find somewhere to bring the kids into a church setting. Um, and somebody suggested St. Aidan's because it had a nursery where I could take the kids and you know, they, I could attend church and they could go to the nursery. When we were talking about this earlier in the week, you said I still had to sit in the basement with a child. Yep. <laughs> but at least now I was with other people. <laughs> yeah. Fraser, for the longest time, wouldn't let me leave him in nursery. He cried. But at least when I went downstairs, there's other people. Erica was down there, and Amanda's down there, and, and there's other people that are down with their children. It's more of a community feeling. You're not sitting by yourself. And now, every once in a while, I actually get to attend church. I listened to a sermon last week. <laughs> actually, not last week. I was in the nursery. <laughs> so what, what have you seen happening in your family over the past few years of being regularly involved here at St. Aidan's? Um, I'd say definitely the kids feel really comfortable coming here. Um, we don't get any arguments about coming to church. They love coming to church. Um, but also Matt and I have found a church community. Like We've become more and more involved in the running of St. Aidan's and in various ministries throughout the church. Um, so it has become like a home church for us. Mm -hmm. So for those of you who don't know, Matt is uh, one of the key leaders who's helping out with our beach zipline programming. So he has great organizational skills in organizing the volunteers, especially for uh, Zipline community, but they're one of our key families that's been helping with the leadership there. Uh, Colleen is actually on our advisory board, so she's involved in the general leadership of our community. 
Uh, and also an, another thing that is kind of broader picture uh, are the other families that have come to St. Aidan's directly as a result of knowing Matt and Colleen. Um, last week, Matt, this Matt, spoke with uh, Adam, who's a family from the community that are friends with Matt and Colleen and have begun becoming involved in our community initially because of that connection. So I think this is where we see both how having, in this case, having a nursery with someone in it created a space for a family to come where the children are receiving that transmission of faith, but also where it's becoming a place where as parents and as other families, there's a growing, um, uh, a growing space in the community for, for spiritual formation of, of, all the, of all the generations, which I find really exciting. And uh, side note that's connected to that, I was writing my vestry report this week for, for our annual meeting at the end of this month. And this year we have had eight new families come and join us with children uh, in our Sunday school age. Eight new families, 16 new children. And as I've gotten to know some of these families or started chatting with some of these families, several have said, we came because there's a Sunday school program. We came because there's something for our kids. And on Sunday mornings right now, we're averaging 17 children downstairs is the average. And about 75% of those kids are six or under. <laughs> so when I say that it's happy chaos, I really mean it. <laughs> um, but what it also means is that while we have this very vibrant core of small children, we're starting to think and talk about how, how do we grow our capacity and grow our programming with this group of children because right now we don't have a lot for kids really above grade four. Uh, we have a, a very small youth group that's starting to form and there's the Nicaragua trip that they just came back from. Some of them have been a part of that. But for that in-between age, we're saying, okay, how do, we, how do we grow our capacity? How do we keep moving uh, forward with the generation as they grow? So my question for you then, Colleen, is looking forward at the next five to 10 years, what do you hope or fear or see as possibilities for your family in uh, your connection and involvement at St. Aidan's? Um, I'd like for our children to not turn 12 and leave the church. Um, so that's obviously Matthew and I as well, but having programming specifically for you know 12 and up or even eight and up. I see Lily kind of the zipline community on Wednesday nights that we do once a month is geared towards kind of young, more younger kids and trying to look for maybe for something um, that our over eights can do before they hit youth group. So trying to fill that gap between the end of what would be kind of primary and the, the Sunday school programming and then the youth group. Um, so that she still feels connected to the church. Because I think a, a good reason why they like coming is that they have friends here and they have people that they know and that they get along with and that they have good kind of comrades in a very secular world where they can come to a church and, and have peers that believe the same things and have the same kind of backgrounds and moving forward through their t very difficult teen years with that support system, I think, would be great. Which reminds me... Um 
on, so Colleen is a part of our small group that's been meeting on Monday nights, and also part of that small group are Terry and Lois Donaldson. And I forget how this came up. I think we were, uh, we were after small group just talking about the fact that I was going to be interviewing Colleen this week. And, um, and then someone said, oh, we should, ask, we should ask Lois how she managed to have kids who stayed involved and connected with the church. Uh, what's, what's the secret? And, um, and her answer was, honestly, one of the big things was that their children had connections with people in the church outside of their family. And that was, I think, a, a real reminder for me uh, of the fact that this generational transmission of faith is not just family teaching children. It really is the whole generation working to teach the whole generation. And so that's something that, for me, gets me excited and also curious and a little bit nervous to see how, as a community, um, we're in this place of having a real opportunity to, um, to teach this generation and to grow this generation in their faith. And so I'm really excited um, to see what we're going to do as a community over the next several years uh, to, to encourage uh, our, our children to not get confirmed and say, all right, I'm out of here for the next decade or so. But at the same time, I think it's really encouraging to hear a story like Colleen's where although you left for a decade, you found your way back. Yep. And a part of that had to do with having kids and saying, what are we going to teach our kids? And, and so even when we feel sometimes that we lose people, that there is that opportunity uh, and, and having the doors open to say, come back, come with your kids, come with your chaos, uh, and, and you're welcome here. Thanks so much, Colleen. Thank you. I'm going to pray for Colleen and for her family and for all of our children and youth. Uh, and I want to say again a, a thank you to everyone who's been involved and supportive. And even if on a Sunday morning you're just saying hi to a little one, uh, I think it really matters. It matters to them. It matters to their parents. And it's a big part of making uh, our community such a diverse and welcoming place. So thank you for that. So let's pray together. Gracious God, you are so good to us. And uh, we thank you this morning for... Uh, for our community and especially for our little ones. I thank you for the 30 to 40 children on our roster who come on Sunday mornings. I thank you for the little ones who are here this morning in the snowstorm who are downstairs right now. I thank you that you love them, that you welcome them, uh, that, that their chaos is uh, something that you love. I thank you especially for Colleen for her willingness to share her story with us this morning. I thank you for her family and the way that they have both received and given to our community and for the blessing that they have been. And I pray that they would continue to receive uh, spiritual blessings in return. God, we, uh, as a community, we desire to help raise the next generation of people of faith, people who will love you and love the world that you have created. And so we ask for your ongoing um, guidance and vision as we plan as a community what you have for us as we move forward and as we continue to grow. And we ask all these things in the name of Jesus, who loves us so much. Amen.